and salutations out there, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It's time for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. Tennessee, they've gotten their third straight win, winning four out of five. We're going to talk about the Tennessee Volunteers defeating the Kentucky Wildcats and winning the mythical beer barrel because it's still, they need to bring back the beer barrel. I know Coach Fulmer came out, I think on the Paul Feinbaum show and said it shouldn't be, you know, it's at the bottom of his list, which is fine, but still bring back the beer barrel. But we've got all of that. We'll break that down, plus everything else going on in the world of college football, college basketball getting underway, including one of the biggest upsets in college basketball history when it comes to point spread ratio everything, of course, going on in the world of professional wrestling and so much more. But of course, you are here on Modern Day Gladiators, your humble host, Michael Shibley, with you here. And of course, everything, please, wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, OutlanderMedia.net with all the other great shows, including Haffle, Deadbeat Radio, DLC Respawn, Geeks and Hair to the Earth, all of them. Just everything. Scared stupid. You've got them all. It's great stuff. If you stick with us, man, wherever you listen, please give us those five-star reviews. Put that rating out there. Make it big for us. We're trying to take over the podcasting world. You can help us. Just take another 30 seconds wherever you listen. Give us a five-star review. Leave a comment below. It helps get all of that stuff out into the algorithms and help us spread the word even faster as we can take over the world. So thank you guys so much for listening. As always, let's dive right into it. The college football rankings had come out, and then you've got you've got it shakes down. We all pretty much had an idea of what was going to happen, at least after all the games had taken place. We'll talk about some of those games real quick. Of course, again, as always, we're going to go more in depth on this on the Friday college football show. Myself and Trey Pack will break all of this down in greater detail, but just here, give you a good broad stroke as we go into the rest of the world of college sports and everything else, as always, with shibbles and bits coming up later. But of course, you've got LSU number one, Ohio State number two, and Clemson number three. We all knew that was pretty much what it was going to be. LSU, I think, should be above Ohio State. I think they've got the better win. They've got the better wins, I think, overall, even though Ohio State has not done bad for themselves. But I've still got LSU. I've got them as the best team in the country, and I think most of us would agree with that. And then Ohio State, perfectly fine there. Clemson, some people are even questioning Clemson at number three because of just how bad the ACC has been. Someone, I think, was quoted saying Clemson's playing the longest preseason ever. They're not fully wrong about that, but that's just opinions and everything. But then the number four spot, you've got the Georgia Bulldogs. I think this is where the controversy is right now because you've got Georgia four, So they would technically be in the playoff, but then you have Alabama at number five, and then you've got Oregon and Utah right behind it. Six, Minnesota moving all the way up to number eight after the huge win they had over Penn State, who's behind them at number nine. Oklahoma rounding out the top ten. So you look at these things, and you see where it all just shapes up. And again, it's the same thing Trey and I were talking about last week. Where it's like, don't freak out if you're some of these people. Some people feel Alabama was disrespected because when you look at things, you look at Alabama has, I guess, a quote-unquote better loss than Georgia has. Georgia, of course, lost a few weeks ago to South Carolina, and Alabama, of course, just lost to number one LSU. But when you look at things, I think what the committee has done at this point, at least at this point right now, 
is they are weighing in the schedule as a whole, and they're weighing in bigger wins over losses at this point. Because you look at Georgia, they've beaten Florida, and they've beaten Notre Dame. Alabama really hasn't beaten anybody big right now. Now, they've got, of course, they lost to LSU. That was the biggest game they had. And yes, they did beat Texas A&M, but Duke, their first opponent of the season, their big non-conference opponent, has not ended up where they thought Duke might be. You look at some of the other teams, and yes, Alabama did blow out South Carolina at South Carolina before Georgia lost to them. So you do have all these things to consider. But honestly, to me, it doesn't even matter because at this point, it's probably going to be LSU and Georgia playing in the SEC championship game. And this is if all these teams run the table. So let's just assume that. Georgia has a big game against Auburn coming up this week in the Deep South's oldest rivalry. So just keep that in mind, and that's in Auburn. So, I mean, Georgia might not even make it out of this week it with where they are, with their status. So just keep that in mind. But if they do... And then LSU and Georgia are still, say, let's just say one and four. Let's say LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia, it, it stays the same. And Alabama's right behind them at number five, and they've all run the table. If LSU and Georgia play, and then if LSU beats Georgia, then Alabama's probably going to jump up into that number four spot. But if Georgia beats LSU, then Georgia's in. But that would happen whether Georgia was number five and Alabama was number four. That, that would happen either way. So uh, everybody in Tuscaloosa just needs to slow their roll, just finish out the season. As we always say, Just there's still plenty of football to play. Meanwhile, everybody behind them, especially Oregon and Utah, and especially if you're Oregon, they have to be big Auburn fans right now. Not only maybe beating Georgia, that would be one thing to consider, but also you really have to hope that Auburn somehow beats Alabama at the end of the season in the Iron Bowl. And that is happening in Auburn. So they do have that going for them. But when you look at it, it's because, again, people, if Alabama and Oregon both finish the season with one loss, Alabama, they beat Auburn, and Oregon lost to Auburn to open the season there. And it was by one point, or as a score at the last, at the, right at the end of the game. So that's something, again, we got to take a look at when you're looking at best losses and everything like that. So the big, those are just some of the big storylines we have to look at as we go in here and things to keep in mind. So just think about that as we go through all of this. Meanwhile, again, what a great game it was between LSU and Alabama. Joe Burrow pretty much, I think, won himself the Heisman Trophy and might even be the first pick now in the NFL draft when you look at everything. Joe Burrow, 393 yards, three touchdowns as LSU defeats Alabama, 46-41. to Of course, Tua playing with the bum ankle still. He had 418 yards, so he didn't have a bad game. Four touchdowns. He did have a very costly interception, which LSU was able to score, I think, on the next play right before the half. They just scored, and then they scored again. And, of course, they also had that one, that fumble where no one touched him. Tua just lost the handle on the football, and Alabama was going in to score at that point. So that was big. But then, I mean, also, you got to look. Every time Alabama got within one score, LSU just came right back and was able to answer. And the big one there, too, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 103 yards rushing, 
77 yards receiving, four total touchdowns. Just an amazing, just amazing performance by him as well. Just a great atmosphere. Everything about that game was huge and fun. It was just in stark contrast to the 2008 game. Or, uh, what? It, no, it was... Uh, not 2008, it was eight years ago, I'm sorry, the 9-6 game. We all know when that, it was just bad. It was horrible, and I never want to see a big game like that again, which is just a slugfest like that one was. Meanwhile, the other big undefeated matchup you had last week, you had Minnesota and Penn State. What a great atmosphere they also had up in Minnesota as they defeat the Penn State Nittany Lions 31-26. to And again, Minnesota rightfully moving all the way up into that national conversation, setting up a chance, hopefully with Ohio State. But Minnesota, they've still got, they're at Iowa this week, so it could all come crashing down. They've got the Floyd of Rosedale trophy there. And then, of course, they're playing for Paul Bunyan's axe against Wisconsin coming up at the end of the season. So Minnesota still has some really tough contest. Speaking of that, Wisconsin defeating Iowa 24-22, to which was a great matchup as well. So Minnesota's played themselves right into it. Penn State still has everything to play for in front of them. Yeah, they've dropped down to number nine, but if they're able to right the ship this week and then play Ohio State after that and beat Ohio State in the horseshoe, oh, they're right back in that conversation. So, It's not over for the Penn State Nittany Lions just yet, but they still have definitely some work to do. The other big matchup, at least crazy game you got, was Oklahoma versus Iowa State. Oklahoma, I think, was up four touchdowns. Iowa State comes storming back, goes for the two and the win right at the end of the game. Hey, I'm not going to fault you for going for the win in that case, but it fell short, and Oklahoma wins by one point there. But that doesn't bode well for Oklahoma, who's now got, again, a long way to climb up around some of these other teams. They might need some chaos to happen when it comes to Oregon and Utah, Minnesota, Penn State, these teams in front of them needing to trip up if they're going to have any chance. And we'll have to see. Baylor, though, is going to get their shot because Baylor is hosting Oklahoma. So Baylor's hanging around at 13 in the rankings. So they're right there, but they're going to get a chance, just like Minnesota got last week to prove themselves. Now Baylor gets that shot. We'll have to see where all that shakes out. But, of course, let's dive in. Let's do a full-on vol report because we've got the Tennessee football team, of course, but then we've got basketball too, which has both the Vols and Lady Vols off to a really good start in their seasons. But first, of course, Tennessee beating Kentucky 17-13. to The big story, of course, was the fact that Jarrett Garantano came off the bench. Uh, Maurer started the game, didn't look great. He wasn't bad, but he was just missing some reads, it looked like, and just not making great decisions. With the football, of uh, so Garantano coming off the bench, going 7 for 8, 115 yards and two touchdowns all in the second half. Tennessee getting the great catches by both Callaway and Palmer for touchdowns and leading the Vols back to get the win as Tennessee was down 13 to 3. Kentucky, the big story, uh, Bowden there was holding... Kentucky held the ball for 41 minutes of this game, 13 of that in the fourth quarter. My goodness, usually when that happens, you win the game. But Tennessee was able to just to keep fighting back. They made crucial stops 
when they needed to. I mean, it looked the, – the way the game started, too. I mean, Kentucky, I think, went on a 10-, 11-minute drive, it seemed like, in the first quarter and scored a touchdown. Tennessee made a couple of mistakes, could have gotten Kentucky off the field and didn't. So Kentucky ends up with a touchdown. Then Tennessee goes three and out and then just mishandles the punt. And then he goes to punt it, and it's blocked, and Kentucky scores a couple of plays later. But again – that blocked extra point that Tennessee had was the difference, a big, big difference in this game because it forced Kentucky, once Tennessee got up 17-13, it forced Kentucky to have to go for the touchdown. They couldn't just kick a field goal and get to overtime. They had to go for the touchdown, and Tennessee stood tall on defense. I mean, this team had to dig deep to get this win, and they did all types of things to give this game to Kentucky. You talk about that, the, the fumble that that Chandler had. You talk about just some dumb penalties that Tennessee had that kept Kentucky on the field. But Tennessee stood tall, including down at the goal line. They got three fourth down stops. The last three, I think, possessions that Kentucky had, they all crossed midfield and they went for it on fourth down, including the last one down at the goal line. Henry Toto made a huge stop on third down, and then Daniel Batuli and a host of volunteers making another great stop there on fourth down to stop the option, and Tennessee was able to keep Kentucky out of the end zone. Batuli, my goodness, he was a man possessed. 19 tackles, 10 of them solo. Just a great moment there, and then Tennessee still needed a first down because Kentucky had all three timeouts. So what was going to end up happening is if Tennessee didn't make the first down, if they were able to get the punt off, Kentucky was still going to have about a minute left to do something. And it was down to Tennessee had run the ball twice. I think it was third and seven-ish. And they made the same like power, big goal line looking formation. And it looked like they were going to run. They called a pass play. But Kentucky had both tight ends covered. So it, 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 the play was not going to go the way we were hoping it was going to go. But Jared Garantano, and we gave him plenty and well-deserved, plenty of just just crap and just every, every all the criticism and everything that we dumped on Garantano, rightly deserved for calling his own number against Alabama. But he called his own number here, scrambled for the first down, and made it. And got it, and Tennessee was then able to take the knee and run the clock out and get the win and get Tennessee back to 5-5. Five and five. They're 500 with two games left. They've got a bye week coming up this week, and then it is at Missouri, and it's against Vanderbilt. You win one more of those games, you go bowling, which was the goal pretty much all season long. So everything's still there for Tennessee. Just a great moment. As Tennessee, again, it did not play their best football in this game. But they were able to get the win. Garantano, of course, led them back in this one. It was a great moment. And again, Trey and I, again, for all the criticism and everything that people dumped on Garantano to start the year, and a lot of it, again, well-deserved. I'm still not going to boo him like a lot of people seem to do. But everything that he was able to fight through and get to, and again, he's still playing with a bunch of screws and everything in his non-throwing hand, my goodness, but what a great warrior that he was standing up and making the throws when they needed to, he's giving Tennessee right now the best chance to win football games, so you're gonna have to go with him, and it looks like, and we'll see what happens in these final two games, let Tennessee and everybody rest up, 
I, I know there's guys banged up on this team. They might not be showing it, but you know they are. It's a long season, so they're going to take this week and lick their wounds and and be ready to take on Missouri. Maybe some of them will go enjoy the Garth Brooks concert that's happening in Neyland Stadium. So we'll see where all of that goes. Switching gears real quick here in the first part of this uh, of this part of the podcast. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm so amped still with Tennessee getting the win at Kentucky. But let's switch to the hard court. And, of course, we'll talk about Kentucky a little bit later on in the show. But the Tennessee basketball team getting the win off to a 2-0 start as Tennessee first defeated Murray State 82-63. Jordan Bowden had a career-high 26 points as the Vols had to rally back in the second half. They were down 12 points to the Murray State Racers. Now, yes, this isn't the same racer team with John Morant that won an NCAA tournament game last year. Not the same team, but Murray State has always been a very solid team in that Ohio Valley Conference. They've always been very good. They've been to the NCAA tournament before, and they're probably going to go in the years to come. Maybe not every year, but they're a very good team. They're used to winning, and there's still good players on that team. So Murray State made Tennessee work for this one. But again, Bowden did a great job. Uh, leading this team as he's going to have to do. And then Lamonte Turner didn't score well, but he had 14 assists, which was great to see. And Eve Pons also had a career high with 19 points. Fulkerson filling the stat sheet as he always does with 9 points and 9 assists. So again, a good team effort there for the Vols as they extend the now the longest uh, Division One home win streak to 28 games, which is great to see there on Rocky Top. The Tennessee Vols do face number 20, the Washington Huskies, in Toronto on Saturday. And of course, people taking tailgate for the Garth Brooks Show and watch the Vols and root them on and then head to the Garth Brooks Show. That should be great. Again, Washington, a very good team out west. It should be an interesting matchup there, uh, up there in Toronto, north of the border. Meanwhile, the Lady Vols, again, with uh, Kelly Harper, formerly Kelly Jolly, the new coach and establishing, again, this new, just a new program style and everything. They're doing it her way. She's not Pat Summit. was never going to be Pat Summit, and she's not setting out to be Pat Summit. She's her own person, just like Holly Warlick did things. Kelly Harper, though, has got the Lady Vols off to a really good start. They are 3-0, including a big win on the road against number 15 Notre Dame back on Monday. They won 74-63. Yes, the Lady Vols did lose Zay Green to an ACL tear, so she's going to be out for the rest of the year. But the Lady Vols were led by Rena Davis, career-high 33 points, 10 rebounds, so a double-double against Notre Dame, a team that has been in the national championship picture for a lot of these past few seasons. So something, again, to keep an eye on. But Notre Dame fell to the Lady Vols. So Lady Vols going out on the road and getting a big win like that can set just things really good for the season ahead. The Lady Vols, again, were not ranked for the first time in the preseason poll since 1976. So they're establishing a new identity 
and doing it very well so far, at least three games into the season of the Kelly Harper tenure. So I'm excited to see. And of course, we'll update you on everything happening in the world of the Vols and Lady Vols here, of course, on Modern Day Gladiators. And of course, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Modern Day Gladiators. And of course, you can follow me, Michael Shibley, Michael underscore Shibley, on Twitter for all my ramblings and everything going on. Also, outside of the podcast, in the world of sports and professional wrestling. We are going to take a quick break, but we are back with shibbles and bits and everything going on in the world of professional wrestling. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. Yes, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You hear the music. You know Shibbles and Bits is on its way. I've got just a stack of stuff of good things to talk about here in the world of sports. But of course, first, we got to thank our sponsors. We got to thank Joe Shirt at JoeShirt.com. Any idea you guys got for a shirt, comedian, uh, team, uh, company, anything where you want to spread your brand and put it on a t-shirt my goodness you got a just a great catchphrase like greetings and salutations or something like that you want to put it on a shirt joe shirt can help you out with that so get with them they've been doing things for over 30 years here in knoxville they're awesome you got an idea you don't want to put it on a shirt you want to put it on a mug or a banner or a, a lighter or a pencil anything you can put your logo or saying on joe shirt deluxe can help you but again hit them up at JoeShirt.com. Meanwhile, we also got to thank, we got to thank Otherworldly Coffee. My goodness, they are amazing. You like liquid coffee cocaine? If you like how just, just you take two sips and you're up and ready to just fight a bear, just go at it with Otherworldly Coffee. You can check them out at OtherworldlyCoffee.com. The Bigfoot Blend, easy for me to say, the Bigfoot Blend, the Mothman Blend, any of them. Just try them out. They're amazing. It's great coffee. And again, if you go and check them out at otherworldlycoffee.com, if you use the code OUTLANDER in all caps at checkout, my goodness, they will knock off 20% off your order. So check them out. You will need a coffee grinder because they give you just the straight beans in there. But my goodness, Otherworldly Coffee at otherworldlycoffee.com. Just amazing. Check them out. They will get you up and get you going and just get your day just insane. It, you're, you'll go crazy with it. It's great stuff. Try it out. Speaking of going crazy, this is what I love when I record this in the evening like this. You get sports breaking news happening at all times, which is fun to see. We've got to send some quick congratulations uh, to uh, Jacob deGrom and Justin Verlander for winning the Cy Young Awards in both the National League and American League. deGrom is now the seventh pitcher in the National League to win two straight Cy Youngs. And then Justin Verlander wins his second Cy Young seven years after his first great seasons by both of those guys. I was kind of thinking it would have been, it was probably going to be between Verlander and Garrett Cole there on the Astros, but it looks like they were going with Verlander, who spent, again, more time with the Astros and everything. But hey, phenomenal and great jobs by both of those guys. Winning Cy Young, hey, you gotta love it, and congratulations to both of them. 
Meanwhile, we talk about the Rookie of the Year awards that were just handed out over the past couple of days. It goes Houston Astros continuing to rake in the hardware, even though they didn't, of course, get the ultimate prize of winning the World Series. But their slugger, Jordan Alvarez, uh, just got the the franchise's third Rookie of the Year in the American League. Well, it's the, the third overall, but second since they got to the American League. My goodness, he began the past season with AAA Round Rock, came in ranked as the 34 prospect, all this stuff. By the end of April, he had 12 home runs, was hitting 354 and driven in 30 RBIs. Just a great season. But when you look at everything, he had an OPS over the season of 1.140 at home and 985 away. Just an amazing season for a rookie, and the fact that he was able to maintain everything was just amazing to see. So congratulations to Jordan Alvarez. You talk about another great slugger, Pete Alonzo, who won the Home Run Derby. It was it was great. He made the opening day roster and then slugged a rookie record 53 home runs, 120 uh, RBIs. Again, you're going to get the Rookie of the Year if you do that. The fact that it wasn't unanimous was just mind-boggling at this point. But he won it, so congratulations. A couple of good things from the Mets. You wish they might be able to do a little bit more when it comes to getting to the postseason when you've got someone like DeGrom and then you've got the Rookie of the Year. But that is not the case. A lot of the problems with the Mets that we don't have enough time on pretty much all the podcasts I've done up to this point to talk about all the problems with the Mets. Getting into everything else kind of going on in the world of shibbles and bits, you've got the big news, of course, that they've been talking about all day on ESPN. It's getting kind of nauseating. has been the fact that Colin Kaepernick has himself a tryout that they are having on Saturday. It's kind of on short notice. He's got to get down to Atlanta. They're going to do all of this. But of course, Colin Kaepernick has been out of the league for three seasons. We all know about the protests. I've talked a lot about that here on this show and other podcasts. The big question, of course, everybody's like, you know, the NFL is just doing this to, to shut other people up and all these different things. All I care about is can the man play? If they go out there And he's still going to prove that he can throw the ball really far and he can still run very fast. Is it everything else that's going on between his head? He's 32 years old. Is is he going to be able to play right away? Because when you're 32, I mean, you're going to need a guy to play right away. You don't want to get him in there and kind of coax him back into the system. You need him to be either a backup or play immediately. And we'll see what he's got. He's been training this whole time. But again, he's done some things. He had a chance. They were going to bring him in, I think, with the Baltimore Ravens a couple of seasons ago. But remember, he called Ray Lewis and Uncle Tom. He said some bad things about the Baltimore Ravens owner. This was all on Twitter. And Colin Kaepernick, again, even since the protest. And yes, he's donated a lot of money to some great charitable organizations and done some great things with all of that. But then you look at some of the other stuff. He played a game when he was still with the 49ers, wearing uh, pig socks that had police caps on him. He's also compared police officers to slave modern-day slave catchers and different things like that. He talked about how great and how much of a free society Cuba was. He did, gave a press conference wearing a Fidel Castro shirt right when he started kneeling and sitting down. So, 
Again, these are all things that are fresh in a lot of people's minds. But again, if he can still play, then it's worth the headache. But if it's not, then it's not worth it. It's like Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow, it wasn't worth the headache of having him be a quarterback with all the attention. And that's why Antonio Brown, who has all the talent in the world, keeps screwing things up. And now teams might not want to touch him, but they're still willing to give him a look. There's even more rumors always about Antonio Brown getting back into the league just because of the just incredible talent that he has. So we'll see what happens with Kaepernick. If he gets a job, of course, we'll talk about it here on Modern Day Gladiators. But that's the thing. You got to prove it to me. Show me that you're still able to compete in this league. And if it's one of these guys that's watching this tryout thinks that he can do that with that team, then vaya con Dios and enjoy it. And let's see if he can still play. So that's the that's one of the big things that we will see this week. And of course, we'll talk more about that in the days to come. Speaking of everything else, just going, just running down the list and the stack of stuff that I've got. Kentucky, they lost, of course, to Tennessee in football, and then they suffer one of the worst ever by point spread losses ever as Kentucky had the number one ranked basketball team, just beat Michigan State last week, and then they play Evansville at home in Rupp Arena and lose 67-64. to It's the... Evansville, of course, we got to congratulate winners truly first here on Modern Day Gladiators, their first win ever over a number one ranked team. Evansville's Sam Cutcliffe, a transfer from Arizona State and Kansas, hit a pair of free throws with 6.8 seconds left to seal the win. My goodness, just what a really cool moment for the <laughs> the Purple Aces. That's a great name for them. Uh, They were picked to finish 8th in the Missouri Valley Conference. This is a lot like Tennessee losing to Georgia State to open this football season. Now, Tennessee wasn't ranked, especially let alone number one in the country. But upsets can happen. Weird upsets can happen a little more in college basketball. The point spread was 25 points. Uh, You had a couple more of those. You had Wofford in 2017 winning at North Carolina at his 25-point underdog. Uh, Western Illinois was a 25.5-point underdog at Wisconsin in 2015, and Gardner-Webb beating Kentucky as a 26-point underdog. So you had all these different things. Kentucky had won 52 consecutive games against unranked opponents at home. Evansville had a 4% chance to win, according to ESPN Basketball Power Index. Cal Perry just went and said they were the tougher team. They outplayed them. And everything. But it's one of the things you always kind of look at, and almost John Calipari has to be happy about this because always with Kentucky, he always gets just these young, extremely talented guys, but then they all come in and they just beat Michigan State. They all think they're world beaters, and then they have a game like this that humbles them, and now Calipari can come in and be like, let me coach you guys. You guys think you're hot stuff. You're not as good as you think you are. Let me coach you by the end of it. Kentucky's going to be right back there. I don't doubt Kentucky's not going to be either a one or two seed probably going into this season's NCAA tournament. I might be eating my words by the end of this season, and we'll address that then, but I don't see that happening. Speaking of other crazy things going on in the world of college football, my goodness, the Ohio State defensive uh, lineman Chase Young we had heard the story had come out that he was going to be suspended probably for four games. He did not play in the Buckeyes just dismantling of the Maryland Terrapins last week. It all stems from a loan that was considered 
an extra benefit from the NCAA because even though he repaid um, it from a family friend and he repaid it, Young didn't meet the friend until after his recruitment to Ohio State had started. Again, stuff with the NCAA is always just really interesting to follow when you look at everything. But they were expecting a four-game suspension almost to finish out the regular season, but it's been reduced to two games. So, yes, he didn't play against Maryland, and now he's not going to play against Rutgers. It's almost a vacation for him. He doesn't have to do anything for any of that, but he still gets to play against Penn State and Michigan. So, really, I, I just don't see it. It's interesting, though, when you look at that story compared to what's been going on with what's happening at Memphis with James Weissman, who uh, he and the Memphis Tigers did lose 82-74 to to Oregon as the eligibility still just swirls around all of that. Everything's been going on. Again, James Weissman's probably going to be the number one NBA draft pick, seven-foot kid, just a, a stat machine. The guy can fill a score sheet just crazy. Uh... For those of you who don't know, last Friday he was declared ineligible by the NCAA. Uh, he is. It happened because it centered on moving and relocation costs given to Wiseman's family by Penny Hardaway when Penny was Wiseman's former high school and AAU coach before he was the coach at Memphis, which he is, of course, now in 2017. But then just Hours after that NCAA decision, a Shelby County uh, court judge ruled that Wiseman could play pending a hearing later on this month. So again, it's been really interesting where Memphis is pretty much telling the NCAA, now screw you, we're going to just do this. We're not going to just bow down to you and and your rules that we think are different and we just don't agree with. So it's going to be interesting to see where all of this is going. And again, those Penny Hardaway was deemed a booster, which is where some of this money issue comes into because it was in 2008. He donated a million dollars to the school. So then what happens is Penny gave money in the summer of 2017 to have helped Wiseman's family move from Nashville to Memphis so he can play for high school and AAU with Penny Hardaway. What ends up happening is that was $11,500 in moving expenses. Now, I talked to my parents who moved just in the last few years from Virginia Beach down to North Carolina where they live now, and they had a house full of stuff. I mean, we had lived there for, I think, 15 years or close to that, maybe even more than that. We moved there in 97. They moved out in 2015, so there you have it, or moved out in 20, whatever. They would lived there for a while. So there's a lot of stuff there. They said I think their moving expenses was about $6,000. So I, I don't know. I don't know how a lot of that works. It's going to be interesting to see that Memphis just says we're going to keep playing him. There is a hearing scheduled for November 18th where the suit against Wiseman's suit against the NCAA is tentatively scheduled for 10 a.m. local time. The NCAA, we'll see what happens with this. I was interested, though, because, again, these are not really the games where it matters as much. And yes, Oregon was a ranked team, and they did get the win over Memphis, even with Weissman playing. But you look at everything, it's almost, why not just bargain with the NCAA a little bit, just kind of like Ohio State was able to do, 
and get the suspension reduced. We'll have to see and say maybe you're ineligible, but you're only going to have to sit out for four games or something like that in college basketball. Just, what again, one of those interesting things we always have to kind of bring up, and of course we can dive way into this once they get all these rulings and everything that come out. Uh, meanwhile, just a couple of other uh, news and notes around the world of sports. Don Cherry, he's been the longtime hockey commentator up there for Hockey Night in America, in Canada. He has been fired for uh, inappropriate comments toward immigrants, talking about whether they need to wear the poppy or not. And again, it, you, you gotta. I'm not gonna repeat the whole quote here, but it's it really when you look at everything. I thought personally, it's inappropriate. Don Cherry should have been fired, honestly, a long time ago. He's just one of these old fossils of hockey that they don't need in the game personally anymore. I just, I think again, it, it had passed him by when it comes to just the idea of what hockey is now compared to what it was when Don Cherry had been more involved in the game. So, but anyway, we'll have to see where all that ends up. But he's made comments like this in the past and different inappropriate things. So uh, the fact that it took him this long to get fired is, again... We'll have to just see where it all ends up. Congratulations to the Seattle Sounders of the MLS for defeating the uh, Toronto FC 3-1 to to win the MLS Cup. Again, it was sold out. In uh, It's the same stadium where the Seahawks play. CenturyLink Field, I think is what it's called. It was sold out, 60,000 plus in there, rooting on in MLS. Uh, the second MLS Cup for the Sounders. They also won it back in 2016. Back into college basketball here real quick Utah versus Mississippi Valley State you think oh why am I even talking about that it's because Utah defeated Mississippi Valley State 143 to 49 that's 94 points that is now the largest in division one history uh unseating Tulsa versus Prairie View not good for the HB uh CUs there uh that was Tulsa and Prairie View back in 1995 that was a 91 point drubbing that they had, whoo, boy, wow, you, you would think you, and obviously, you know, they brought in all the other, you know, the empty, the bench, but Hey, those guys still want to play and make an impact and score some points. So still ugh, 94 points. That's, that's a tough pill to swallow right there, but a good thing, a really good thing as we wrap up shibbles and bits here, Kent state, congratulations to their center, uh, Kalen Bennett, We've talked about him here on the show. He was the first player to have a Division I scholarship offer. Well, guess what? He got in in the game as the Golden Flashes took on Hiram there in their opening season game. Uh, Kent State defeated Hiram 97-58, but Kalen Bennett was the first player now with autism to score in a Division I game. Left ho- uh, left-handed hook shot with 2 minutes and 30 seconds left in the game. Went in there. He won- got to win- ring the victory bell with his teammates. The crowd was all into it. And, of course, he had nothing but big thanks to his mother. We said sacrificed so much for him and letting him live this dream. Hats off to them. That's just great. All they're just great stories you've got in the world of sports. That's why we love talking about these things here at the end of Shibbles and Bits. Meanwhile, my NFL power rankings. A crazy week again in the NFL. I've got the New England Patriots back at number one because the Niners did lose 
to the Seattle Seahawks. A very sloppy game, but it was a very entertaining Monday night football game. But I do have the Niners at the number two spot. So again, no undefeated teams again in the NFL. Still goes back to the 72 Dolphins was the last one to go undefeated. I do have the Baltimore Ravens. My goodness, what they have been able to do. It's been just fun to see. Lamar Jackson has been just a thrill to watch. Uh, And, of course, they blew out the Bengals because everybody blows out the Bengals. Uh, But they're at my number three spot right in front of the Seattle Seahawks who are there. My goodness, what uh, just great teams here at the top. The Green Bay Packers, what a great game they had against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Just making the goal line stand there at the end in the snow in Lambeau. That's just NFL weather when you talk about all the greatness there. The New Orleans Saints have to drop back a little bit after just a confusing loss that they had to the Falcons. And then I've got the Vikings, the Texans in here. The Chiefs having problems with the Tennessee Titans. I've got them at number 9. And then you've got the Eagles, the Rams, and the Cowboys there rounding out my top 12 as we move along and everything is now we start the march to who is going to be in the playoffs it's always an exciting time there as we get into november in both college and the nfl meanwhile here in the world of professional wrestling as we wrap some things up here on modern day gladiators of course please like subscribe share wherever you listen we will love you forever all those five-star comments we personally thank you thanks so much for listening But in the world of professional wrestling, AEW had their full gear pay-per-view, which was entertaining. I enjoyed everything from top to bottom. The big stories, of course, though, were the co-main events. Chris Jericho retaining the AEW World Championship uh, against Cody. 30-minute match. It was going crazy. But MJF threw the towel in. He was Cody's second threw in the towel because he didn't think Cody could take any more damage. And then, of course, MJF, as he'd been a heel to everybody else, but he kept saying he was best friends with Cody Rhodes, finally betrayed him and gave him a shot in the nuts to go completely full heel and sets up a program with Cody. Of course, now he made the promise that he will not challenge for the world title again. I'm assuming as long as Jericho is champion. We'll see where that all goes. Meanwhile, of course, the lights out match that they had, again, and it doesn't affect their win-loss record, but it still was an amazing match between John Moxley and Kenny Omega with John Moxley getting the win. Kenny Omega, again, yet to win the big matchup here in AEW. So we'll set it up and see where all this is going to go. But it was a crazy match. It was great, though, that AEW just saved all the insane hardcore and no DQ spots for this one. I mean, you had mousetraps, you had barbed wire. It was it was a mess. Some people hated the match. Some people loved it. I was kind of right in the middle. I enjoyed it. It was an enjoyable match. Maybe a little too long. But other than that, I thought it was fine. We'll see where AEW goes from here. I'm excited to see, of course, with Dynamite going. And that brings me to what I'm going to finally talk about here at the end of the show. Because you always talk about everything. We have Disney Plus starting, which just got me thinking about all these options now we have for streaming, where you've got now Disney Plus, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Crackle, Hulu, HBO Max is getting into it coming in 2020. So many options for your dollar. It's the same thing with professional wrestling right now, where you can get 
all your wrestling content. Of course, you've got the WWE and everything with them with the WWE Network, but a lot of people aren't happy with where the WWE is going, but you can still watch hours and hours and hours of professional wrestling And none of it could be the WWE. You've got, of course, AEW, and that includes their YouTube show, AEW Dark, where they air all the dark matches. Uh, They put them on YouTube the next Tuesday, which is amazing. Meanwhile, of course, you've got NJPW, New Japan Pro Wrestling. I've talked about them plenty on this show. You've got NJPW World for just 999 yen, which is just about nine bucks, give or take. It's just amazing. You get all their great content and access to all of their archives. Of course, all the current stuff is all in English, or they have English translation and English commentary. So it's great. I love watching all of that stuff. But then other stuff you've got. Of course, you've got Ring of Honor and Impact that are still around and kicking. You've got Major League Wrestling. All this stuff is available, and you can get so much of it just online on their basic YouTube packages and everything. And then, of course, you've got, like, Triple A in Mexico, or Triple A, as they like to say. Uh, I mean, they stream stuff on Twitch. Their latest pay-per-views have all been on Twitch, which is amazing, and they do have English commentary for that as well. And meanwhile, of course, you've got really old school. If anybody who watched, like, old school, especially Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling and stuff with NWA, that old studio setup, The NWA is doing that again with Billy Corgan in charge of it. Nick Aldis is his champion. They're doing NWA Power, and it's kind of a studio setup show. But they've got great matches and great, and it's just an hour. It flies by. It's some of the easiest watch you're going to have for any wrestling that you've got. Just great kind of old school looking things. It's an old school feel. It's amazing. So you have all these options that aren't the WWE. You have options. You don't have to just be tied down to the WWE anchor if you don't want to, but still love professional wrestling. So just my word of advice out there that there's other, you have other options. Just like everything. The more options you have, a rising tide, lifting all boats with everything, including, you know, just again, all these great shows and many more that I'm sure any of you could comment uh, with me, of even Lucha Underground is still sticking around, or CMLL in Mexico, anything, all of these other great indie promotions that are out there that I can't even think of right now. So just think about that. If you're into professional wrestling, you can find whatever suits your taste. That's going to wrap up this week's episode of Modern Day Gladiators. Again, thank you so much for listening. I will see you guys, of course, a little bit later this week. Of course, myself and Trey Pack doing the big college football preview show. But until then, too sweet. Love you guys. Adios.